All righty, guys. Welcome back to the Bait Tank Podcast. I'm your host, Drew, and today we have a fantastic guest. We have another Drew from Far Out Yacht Service. This guy travels the world. He fishes. He takes photos. He's a hunter. I'm really excited to talk to him. Drew, how you doing? Pretty good. A little nervous, but excited to be here. No, that's all right. I'll get rolling. So, uh, yeah, you drove down here. I really appreciate you coming out. Um, let's just kind of kick it off with, like, how did you get into fishing and kind of where what led you to where you are now? Honestly, um, I always feel like I was kind of at a little bit of a disadvantage because everyone else that I know has always been, like, you know, fishing ever since they were a kid or with, you know, their family, whatever. And I, I didn't really have that. So I, I started in, uh, in high school actually on like a ninth grade trip. They, they do like the see me camp where you go and like spend two or three days at Catalina and, uh, they take you on like a couple snorkeling trips and let you, you know, pet the sharks in the kiddie pool. And it was awesome. It was, you know, the, the goal for that is to like inspire kids. And like, for me, it really worked. So it was pretty cool. I got my family was always big on seafood um, and, uh, you know, snorkeling and seeing all the fish. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. So I, I really got started spearfishing. Um, and I still remember my mom drove me down to Dana Point in December. No wetsuit, you know, <laughs> JBL pole spear from Sport Chalet. And I wanted it and I got in. I would never do that now, but it was, you know, just the way you start off, I guess. Did you spear anything? No. God, no. <laughs> I don't think I saw anything. It was like a, a foot of visibility. It was horrible. That's awesome. And then obviously you progress from spearfishing into fishing or do you still spearfish? Well, I, uh, I love spearfishing now. It's a little bit tough and I don't really like the bad visibility. I like to be able to see what's going on. Um, but I got, I got mentored by, you know, at the time I started in 2014 so that was, I was 17 years old and, uh, my mentor was like 15. He's going to hate me for not knowing his exact age, but he's like a year <laughs> or two younger than me, like smaller than me, but an absolute beast. His name's George. And, uh, that's how I, I started spearfishing. And then my first job in high school, I just like called the local, uh, tackle shop and it was, it's called the fish and fools in Granada Hills. And I got really lucky. They, they said they were hiring and I went in and, I was really on like a crash course to fishing. I got to learn everything really. Um, and that was 2015. So that was El Nino. So good kind time. Of, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> that's when I started. I'm the El Nino guy. Hey, that's all right. I mean, that's a great time to get in, to get into great fishing. What, what better time to get in fishing when fishing sucks, fishing sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and then learning at a tackle shop, I never worked at a tackle shop. I worked at my first job was West Marine. And so like guys would come in with like, I want to troll on my sailboat, blah, blah, blah. But I wish I would have worked at a tackle shop and like, you know, even just for like the rigging, the, everything you learn day in day, the knots, all that stuff. It's, I think that's a great experience for a young guy that loves fishing. It's a what better job. Yeah. You're going to go hang out there anyways. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so moving from spearfishing to fishing in like that 25, 2015 era, what kind of fishing were you doing? Were you bass guy, offshore? Um, I mean, I love to do the like, you know, run around the harbor at night and fish for spotties, of course. Um, but uh, I'll never forget like go, calling into work and being like, hey, is it okay if I come in at like 12 instead of 8 and like driving down to Huntington Beach and um, 
this guy Eric, he's actually the guy who uh, bought Natalie Ann. Oh, okay. Yeah. So easy he, sport fishing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He 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 mentored me. I I think back when I was he like mentored me and really got me outdoors into fishing. He had like a little seventeen foot arima that he was building a pilot house on, and he's like, if you want, come down and like, you know, give me a hand, and you know, we'll, we'll go fishing and. We fished and we had a bunch of cool adventures and, you know, went to Catalina and that's how I really got my hands like on fishing. Um, those are cool. Those are cool little boats. So 17 Arimas. Uh, I bought one, me and my buddy Corey bought one on accident, not on accident. Like we bought it cause we thought it was like a smoking deal mm-hmm. and it ended up being Brandon Hayward's original boat. Oh wow. That 17 Arima that he like started with. That's way cool. And it looked like it too, because it looked like this thing had a billion hours on it. Like every weld was broken on the tower. Wow. It had amazing electronics. It was an awesome boat. And it was like, we were just moving through boats so quick. We just like took it out a couple of times, get up to the next one, you know, yeah. over and over. Uh, any like memorable trips on that Arima? Oh God. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, it's funny. Actually, it was um, the guy who I talked about, George, we went with. Eric to Catalina and we went spear fishing because the yellowtail weren't biting. So he let us bring our spear gear and we jumped in and it was like the last little bit of light before the sun went down and I didn't shoot anything, but George did. He ended up shooting like a 15 pound yellow and I don't remember what happened if there was like bad weather or something, but we're like, we're spending the night and we're like, (laughs) Oh my God, it's nighttime. We don't have towels. We're wet. And Oh, I'll, I mean, I'll never forget it. We uh, we sat there like, should we take our wetsuits off or is that going to be even colder? Oh. And we were like, I think we're going to keep them on. <laughs> and we had a propane stove and we tried to sleep and we would turn on the propane stove and like warm up our hands. And then like, I remember when it died and it was so sad. It was probably like 2 a.m. and the fire just dwindled down to a flicker. And uh, the last resort was eating all the chocolate chip cookies that we bought at Ralph's because the chocolate <laughs> kind of like makes you feel like you're warm even though you're freezing. Um, yeah, we had we had a lot of cool adventures driving around with, you know, free diving masks on because the spray was so bad. Oh, really? Those are wet boats? I mean, if it's nasty. Or you guys are just sending it we're so sending hard. sending it all the time. <laughs> just had to. It's the only way. Yeah, and that 2015 era was such a good time it's still a great time for a small boat guy but that was like a really good time because you had so many options you could go out front of dana you catch the elephant you go to the 150 you can catch yellowtail you can go to the island island fishing was great like don't forget the wahoo you can't forget the wahoo did you guys get any wahoo i went on a trip with him where we were both we both looked back and watched the marauder get flicked out of the water um oh and then i went to work the next day and i remember sitting there in the tackle shop and i get that text message and he got like a 72 pounder or something wow so the next day he he was really he would go after it yeah um we got one with ben on natalie ann nice um we you know we had the marauders the cowbells the 50 wides all trolling gear ready to roll we pull up to this kelp and uh you know we trolled around it a bunch of times like insane speed trying to see if there's wahoo on there nothing all right all right there's little yellows on here and i don't know i think ben threw out uh it's like a corrado 300 and a like 60 gram colt sniper stock hooks 20 pound leader hooks it in the throat 
Oh my God. Hooks like a 40 pounder in the throat. And we like get this thing in. It's like the world's luckiest Wahoo. Wow. First it's 12 miles off Laguna. Second is a Wahoo on 20 pound, like, you know, and like the little tiny stock hook, but that was a, that was an awesome time, man. Yeah. It was super fun. So, I mean, after the Arima, what did you guys, what did you guys get into after that? Um, he went on to get like a, I think a 23 foot Parker and then has been just, you know, changing from, from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up fishing with a lot of other people though, too. Um, and then I ended up actually, so I had this little brand, um, it was called fish hub and it oh, was yeah. a play off of the Pornhub logo and people <laughs> loved it. And that was really cool. Um, I didn't make any money off of it, obviously. Um, but it was fun. I sold, you know, hats, shirts, hoodies, and it, the best part was like who it connected we met, who it connected me with. Yeah. And uh, I got to fish with a lot of other people and learn a lot of other styles. Um, and then that led to me learning how to bluefin fish because I met. Actually, I was I was like flipping boats. Like I I bought this one boat off of a whatever offer up. Someone paid was like two hundred bucks to get it off my property. I was like, sweet, I'll take it home. I'll make money. I'll clean it up you know, some ugly little lake boat. Um, and then I like posted it on fish hub and I was like, someone will take this, right? Like whatever it is, it's a profit. So I did that and I ended up getting recognized at the launch ramp by this guy who was opening a restaurant. And he, he, at that time he was like, can you show me how to fish like yellowtail? And I was like, sure, man, we can, he's like, I have a 22 foot Rivala. We'll go out. And he, I fish a lot with him still to this day. His name's Connor. Um, he has Dudley Market down in Venice, and they do all like local seafood. And it was so cool because we started off on his little Ribalo, and uh, we just learned how to like fish different stuff together. His he ended up you know going in on a thirty five foot whaler um, oh, nice. with you know triple three hundreds, and it was just a huge change from you know doing the small boat stuff. And after that, obviously, I didn't want to go back. And uh, and that's how we learned how to, like, bluefin fish together. And uh, ever since then, it's been kind of snowball effect. It's just gotten bigger and bigger. Um, he ended up buying the Outrider, actually, now. And he's revamping it to be, hopefully, like, the next bear flag, essentially. So Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen his Instagram uh, through you. And then, you know, we followed each other and stuff. And that guy, he's got cool branding. And I think he's he's bound for success for sure with that. And like the local caught seafood thing, I love that. I love Bear Flag, this new Seal Beach Fish Company thing. I love all that stuff is is super, super cool. It's like supporting commercial fishermen. And it's like if you go to a fish restaurant, you really don't know where that oh God, fish no. is coming from. And, you know, it, it can get sketchy, but it's cool to see like, man, we have this awesome resource somebody's putting it to use for here. It's not being shipped out overseas or it's not, you know, going different places. It's like you can get food out of our ocean in a local restaurant. Yeah. So I actually, uh, my, like the job that I had for the longest time was working at a, uh, just like totally unrelated working at a farmer's market and they had a seafood person there and I like got to be friends and like learn a lot about, like seafood and where it comes from and it's horrible i'm not gonna go on a tangent but my two favorite facts are that i think it's 92 percent of snapper air quote snapper is not actually snapper it comes from somewhere else it's no one really knows Hmm. um 
and it's crazy. Like you do have to support those like smaller commercial guys or, you know, the ones that you can trust, the ones that are reputable because even stuff that says like wild local sometimes isn't like, yeah. and it's even the stuff that is, isn't like, for example, just thinking about like the cost of like what it costs to work here, right? Like minimum wage, whatever. Yeah. Imagine you go and buy a box of calamari. That calamari, even though, you know, they catch it out, you know, right out here, right in the bay, Catalina, whatever. That stuff, it just doesn't make sense. If you crunch the numbers yourself and use a little common sense, no one here is cleaning that squid. That squid is still wild and local when you buy it here, but it's been frozen, shipped overseas, and processed in like China or whatever, refrozen and shipped back here because that's cheaper than paying someone here to do it. So by the time you buy your wild, local, fresh, whatever the hell squid from California, it's already, you know, it's got a huge carbon footprint. It's been frozen a couple times. It's a couple of months old at least. Um, And then, you know, been on a tanker ship more than any of us will ever be in our lives. It's it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I knew about the tuna. Um, There's a guy in Hawaii who he did a podcast for. His name's Kenton. Um, and he talked about tuna in fish markets where they gas it, yeah. the CO2 gas. I was blown away. Like it's all insane. these little pokey spots, maybe not all of them. Maybe some people use fresh fish. 90%. But 90% is that gas tuna and it takes away the odor and it turns it red. So when you walk in there, you don't smell fish and you see this beautiful red tuna, your brain thinks, oh, this is fresh. This is going to be delicious. And really it has no flavor to it. Yeah. Like that fish. You give somebody a chunk of bluefin that you caught here, they are like blown away. And it can be intimidating giving somebody like, you know, see if it comes right off the boat and you don't process it, you're just like, say you just quarter it out and put it in Ziploc bags and you hand somebody this giant chunk of tuna. They're like, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, But if they do go through and process it and, and, you know, take care of it and eat it, they're like, wow, this is incredible. And I think one of the coolest things about being a fisherman is that you can share that with people like that don't have the opportunity. Maybe they're older, maybe they're not financially able to go out fishing and, and obtain that resource. But if you can give them like that fresh fish and they're like blown away, ruin their lives. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. They don't want to eat another seafood, right? Like lobster. uh, What's that? Uh, The red lobster. They're not going back to the red lobster after you give them a fresh uh, Catalina lobster tail, you know? No, wait, lobsters don't have claws. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, you know, when we used to run Natalie Ann, we'd bring up lobster and they're like, are we going to get any with claws? And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> It'd be a big deal if we did, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, like what are, what's your favorite way to target those bluefin if you guys, so he's commercially fishing, right? Yeah. On that whaler, which is a pretty crazy boat to commercial fish on with three 300s and, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, to make that work. But what are you guys, how are you primarily targeting them when you are? I mean, the kite for sure. Mm-hmm. Just there's nothing better than, you know, watching one come out of the water for it and just whining like your arm's going to fall off. Um, but obviously we learned to do that when it was like good. Like mm-hmm. last year obviously wasn't as good for the kite. We had all the Mad Max stuff come up and like, that's just, it's fun, but it's like also no fun because you're like, God, I wish, you know, all the people that don't know how to fly a kite were, you know, not getting bit and everyone's getting bit. Um, but yeah, the kite and then it's just fun. You have to like constantly adapt and like figure out something new. Like 
I probably went like when when it was all the like flat fall stuff. I never caught a flat fall fish. Never. I hated it. I hated <laughs> flat fall fishing. Uh, you know, it's when your electronics give out or something, or it's just like not whatever. It's not working. They're not biting. And you're just yeah. like, why am I doing this still? Like, I need to go to sleep, especially when you work those days that are. We had a couple trips where it's like two or three days and wow, fish hard all day. Come nighttime, it's like. I, I always had a problem sleeping. Like I, I, I could nap anywhere. We could be going 30 knots and like, you know, four foot seas and like kind of <laughs> slamming, but like I could fall asleep. Like I'm good. So I'd love to take a nap, but you get tired, you know? So it's yeah. like, I don't want to flat fall at night. I want to go to sleep and like, you know, try it again the next day. But it's just not always like that. The kite didn't really, you know, work as well last year. So constantly having to adapt and try something new and just an ever evolving fishery is hard to keep up with yeah when you're talking about last year are you talking about the season that we just had here or the previous season the previous season okay uh yeah it it was definitely changed and even this year to get bites on the kite it wasn't like it was where you like you run uphill of everything set the kite up and then you could get like on a drift yeah it was like you had to walk your baits into the fish and those fish i had days where like the fish were moving like as you know i'm following a breezer and they're going like 10 miles an hour and I'm just like blown through flyers because they're just breaking to pieces yeah. trying to keep up with them. But if I could get it in there, it was a bite, you know? I, I mean, I had a I had one trip that was like my most frustrating one. I was so excited because I was like, okay, I got hired to work on this 72 Viking. And I was like, okay, Ooh. this is like the dream, you know? And they had a tower that was like, you could see literally everything. <laughs> China. And, I, and we <laughs> saw schools of fish everywhere. And I rigged those things perfect. And we... we put the flyer in it like time after time and we just could not get a bite and it sucked because my my I ended up uh bringing help on that trip and it was my buddy George who is just like spearfisher like die hard like he, and he's just <laughs> sitting there and I could see it on his face and he's like man should have let me bring my spear gun we would have been dumb by now we would have just like <laughs> gone home I'm like man it, it's hard you know it's yeah. it's tough now they're definitely a frustrating fish and then, you know, you could be doing that perfect. We had a couple times this year um, where you could do that perfect approach. You can do the thing. And then you see like uh, some like 50 foot Riviera with the tag still on it, basically like a yeah. brand new boat hook up on a Mad Mac right next to you. And you're like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we, you know, or like I saw a guy catch a fish on a Rapala, like a deep dive in Rapala. And I'm like, all right, there's more ways to catch these things. Yeah. But I think you're like me and love fishing the kite. Cause it's so cool. And it's so, so like, much better when you hook them on 300 pound and you can yes. just put the wood to them, you know? Um, how many, if you, if you don't mind me asking, like how many fish does it have to, do you have to catch to make one of those commercial trips worth it? Do you go into it with a number of like, Hey, we need this much to usually it's poundage. Okay. Um, so usually we shoot for about, I mean, especially with the price of gas now and like, you know, having to fuel up at the, at the fuel dock and yeah. those the mercury like high output you know they only take premium so it's like you just crunching numbers and it's like okay what's our time worth what's our you know whatever and uh i think it's like 500 500 pounds usually around or more usually yeah. like lucky number seven is what we're going for so <laughs> it's it's really crazy to be able to jump back and forth um from like the commercial and the sport world and when you're, you know, commercial fishing, you catch one 200 pound fish and it's like, there's no time to celebrate. It's like, get another flyer out. We got to stack this boat full. Yeah. Take advantage while it's biting. Um, and that's kind of how I 
kind of got out of that a little bit. And it's still fun because I still want that energy once in a while. Yeah. But it's really refreshing to be able to jump on, you know, some guy's boat and he's never caught a tuna before. And you're like, oh, get ready for this. Like, and you're sitting there with the <laughs> balloon and catch one fish and they're they're done, dude. They're happy. And they're, you know, the happiest people you've ever seen. And it's it's really fun. It's cool. So right now my favorite is kind of sport fishing um, just because you get that pressure off. Yeah, we definitely take it for granted. Um, you know, I've been on trips where it's like, yeah, Benny was talking about this too. It's like, you know, they see a dolphin, they're excited. Oh yeah. And your brain's like, oh, we got to get out in front of these dolphins as soon as possible and drop baits. Cause I know this is holding yellowfin. Yeah. And they're like, wow, that dolphin just went six feet out of the air. And you're like, yeah, I don't care about that. We need to catch some fish. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you're, you're running gunning. Um, but the commercial side, I can definitely see you know, everybody celebrates on a 200 pounder, but yeah. if it's go time, it's go time. Yep. You're there for a job. You have to stack that boat to make the trip worth it. You Absolutely. Know? Um, so after you kind of moved out of the commercial side, you got back into sport fishing, kind of lead us into what you're doing now or, or well, after that. so now I don't really live in California anymore. And that kind of happened because a, I wasn't making enough commercial fishing. You just, it, it's tough to network that much. Same thing with, you know, those big sport fishers. Obviously, that's everyone's dream. Um, but finding someone you can go out with regularly enough that it makes sense for you, mm-hmm. it just it just didn't. And obviously, recently with gas essentially, you know, going through the roof. I think my last fill-up that I put in my truck in California, I paid six seventy. It was six sixty nine. That's what it was. Um, and now where I'm at, it's two fifty five. Um, and that kind of came about because it was time to move out, you know? Um, and I have too many hobbies. I like spearfishing, fishing, hunting. It's a lot of stuff. So looking around at places here, it was like, I, I literally cannot afford to, I just can't afford to do this. And I, I'm not ready to commit to the nine to five. So I just kind of packed my stuff and me and my girlfriend went and we, we're like, we're going to go across the country. We're going to set aside. We had remote jobs. We we're lined up. We we're like, okay, we're going to work remote. Like, this is going to be great. The remote jobs fell through. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So we were just like <laughs> trying to get creative. Um, but we were like, we're going to travel along the the one thing we're not going to give up is the coast. So, and ironically enough, we kind of ended up on the ugliest coast there is. But um, we traveled the coast and tried to work along the way, tried to network, hit people up. I hate to be like a social media person, but like Instagram just is a really amazing way to connect with people. And yeah. I, for me, I, uh, it's like my resume. So I, I went to Santa Monica community college for two years and I don't remember what year that was, but all I know is the fishing was red hot because that's all I could pay attention to is like <laughs> when you don't have teachers telling you like you need to put your phone away and you're sitting there and you're like, Oh man, everyone's bit, you know, like I got to get out there and you're like, focusing on what you're going to fish the next day instead of like, you know, doing your work. It just, school didn't really work out. So my, my resume essentially is Instagram and like the more fish I get to catch and experience and go do stuff like that's what does best for me. So I got really lucky. Um, I, we got to like fish our way across the country. Essentially we made it all the way to Key West. Um, and along the way I got my, obviously what ended up working out. Um, I work now with Louisiana blue water charter co. Um, they're down in Venice, which everyone's heard about Venice, and it's one of the coolest places in the world. Um, I got to connect with uh, Bob Hovey, who's 
He's a freaking cool guy. I don't want. I don't like to like be like that with people, but he is a freaking cool guy. He was a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. Um, obviously, has this company now. They have two boats. Um, so I work on a thirty-seven Freeman now. Oh wow! Um, and what's the other boat? Uh, also a thirty-seven Freeman. Um, it's hole number four of the tri holes. Oh, or wow. I'm sorry, why did I say that? Um, triple outboards. So now they all have four. Um, this is when they first started out. They were only making them with. Uh, with three outboards. So, so what's the placement on that? I mean, right in the middle. And oh, it's all the in two, the middle. Okay. I mean, yeah. So the two go right, you know, right by the V's. And then the other one has a little bit of a, a bracket and it sits a little bit higher up, I guess. Hmm. Um, but they both, they both run incredibly and being yeah. able to fish on like hole number four is pretty cool. And that boat's still going strong and it kills fish. I mean, going down there is, my favorite part was probably finding out that you don't just go into the ocean. You start off upriver. So you actually have to go 22 miles downriver. So my like worst was coming home from a commercial trip here, pulling into Marina del Rey. It's 2 a.m., right? And you got to freaking flush all four outboards. Or it, it was it was a nightmare. You sit yeah. there with the octopus and opening valves and screwing and unscrewing. <laughs> it's like, and you're just dead tired. And you come back, you know, in Louisiana you don't have to do that because you just ran 20 miles up river. So you just, your engines are flushed. No one flushes their engines. It's mind blowing. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, Louisiana is a really cool place. So what is your, what's your average day or like, what is a premier day in Louisiana? What do people go there for? Um, yellowfin. So they call it the yellowfin capital of the world. Um, and it, it kind of lives up to it a lot of the time. Um, I don't, I mean, yeah, when I got to go there in April, it was so cool. It was during, so basically, I think it was May, actually. Fishing season starts in about May, um, and then at least for tuna. Mm -hmm. And then it runs till about, I mean, people don't really fish a lot right now, but the fish are there. So you start off catching what we call peanuts, which are 20-pounders, and people love them. They go freaking nuts. (laughs) Um, And it's so funny. It's my least favorite because I'm so... I am good at gapping a big fish in the head. You know, it's like it's such a big target. How do you miss? Right. But people, you know, you get people from Kentucky, like Arkansas, like, you know, crappy fishermen and bass fishermen and, and they get to pull on a 20 pound tuna and they're exhausted and they freaking, you know, they're high sticking the thing. And, you know, you teach them how to like, you know, lift the rod and they go nuts. They, I swear these things are doing cartwheels out of the water. When you go to gaff them, they're freaking flipping and all, all over the place. It's hectic. Um, but yeah, throughout the year, those fish get a little bit bigger. Um, so we end up starting to catch like 50 pound fish around like June, July, and then come like September, October, those fish are big. Like the fish that come in that time, they're 80 to a hundred. Um, so fun. Oh my God. It's crazy. <laughs> and then come winter time, most of the, like most of summer you're running 60 to 80 up to 120 miles offshore. And really? yeah, and a day trip. And the best part about sport fishing, um, you're done at like three o'clock. Like three o'clock comes, <laughs> you're like, you guys, we're turning this boat around. Like, you know, and usually you get them. Like we yeah. have, we, we get them pretty good. Um, and then come wintertime when it's supposed to be our off season, we get this push of big fish that come in shallow. So this year, this, uh, just a couple months ago, like a month, month and a half ago, we were catching... We caught 172 pound fish seven miles outside the river. 
Wow. Yeah, so they come up tight on the shelf. So picture, you know, the one horseshoe kelp, 150. Giant tuna coming in, and uh, it's mind-blowing stuff. I guess, like, wintertime comes, and all that fresh water gets, you know, the river starts to flow a little bit better, and it pushes all those mullet and uh, minhaden or pogies. We call them pogies. Mm-hmm. Um, pushes them offshore. They can handle the, you know, salinity a little better, or, the you know, it's a little more brackish, a little further out. So... One guy caught a fish that was like in 45 feet of water. Really? It was probably 120 pounds in 45 feet of water because those fish, they key in. The bait gets pushed offshore and they come inshore and it becomes mayhem. It's it's wow. nutty. Yeah, I got really lucky. I got to film some really cool stuff. We had a... So those pogies will get up in a ball. And when they're on the shelf, there's, there's a ton of sharks out there. But when the fish are offshore, the sharks aren't really a problem. But you'll see hammerheads, tiger sharks, duskies, black tips, spinners. Like there's so many sharks. Um, come wintertime though, and that bait's all on the shelf, like in shallow water, 200 feet of water. Those sharks will go nuts on those, you know, bait balls. And yeah. uh, and there's huge tuna all around the, uh, you know, all around them hitting the outsides of it. And uh, I, that day that I filmed that stuff, we. Uh, we the night before we sat there with our 50 wides and our 80 wides and our unlimited rods and we're like okay what's the game plan just in case we find these things and we we set up two rods with like 400 pound test but the problem is they swordfish over there so much so all their heavy stuff like that has 80 pound spectra mm-hmm. so we sat there testing our drags with you know 50 yards of heavy line and we pulled up to this bait ball and it was absolute it was the craziest thing i've ever seen and me and Bob both casted our lines out and we hooked up instantly. And we were like, you know, it's the dream. And then we get to the spectra. Boom, boom. They both popped. Oh. And we're sitting there and we're like, now what? Like those were, that was the thing. Like, and there's all these sharks around. So we're like, how are we going to get these things in the boat? I look at him and I knew what I was about to say was crazy. And I just told myself, let's just cleat one. Let's just cleat one off. <laughs> no so, so we grabbed the biggest hooks we had. And uh, we, I think we had 250-pound leader, so we <laughs> crimped it to the cleat, 10-foot of line, you know, get the gloves on, and um, threw a mullet in the water. Like, And these mullet that we fish are huge. Like, they're, we fish a couple that are even saying 18, 20 inches, you know, long. Some guys really? from Louisiana are going to look at me and say, no, dude, that's too small. Like, they're, they're big baits. Now, are you catching those mullet? Before the trip? Like- yeah, cast netting on the way out. Okay. So we're heading down river. We'll take a little, you know, offshoot, a little pass somewhere, and we'll stop and just throw the cast net a couple times in the reeds. And uh, that's where we get the mullet. And then right outside the river, that's where the, the pogies live. Um, so we'll make a couple pogies out there sometimes too. It depends on the time of year, what we want to take out. Um, but that day we had mullet. And after we threw the first line in the water that was cleated off, obviously it... it busted the line really quick and we we're like okay well we had him eating like boat side like boat side oh. you know of your dreams so we i told him i said well let's just harpoon one i'll just dangle a bait in the water and just harpoon it so then we i had to rig the harpoon so i i got you know 550 cord and i'm like 550 pounds i'm like dude let's just tie this to a hook so we tied that to a cleat threw that in the water and that one didn't break but it the circle hook bent completely straight and it just yeah. Yeah, it must have ripped out of the fish. Um, and then the last, I think we hooked seven fish that day. We didn't land anything. We skunked that day. No. Yeah. Way. But the last one was the most impressive. We did, uh, we took the biggest circle hook we had. 
we did 250 pound test plus the 550 cord. So that's, you know, whatever. A little shock leader. Yeah. So that was 10 foot of that. We threw the mullet out and then the, the harpoon was rigged up at this point. So we got a fish to eat the mullet and Bob darted it as it ate the bait. So it had three lines in it and it ended up breaking the, the harpoon line. So we lost the whole harpoon. Um, and then the circle hook obviously bent out straight again. Oh my God. So it's, those fish are, they're mean. Yeah. They're mean for sure. Now let's, let's compare a 200 pound bluefin to a 200 pound yellowfin. Uh, Who's going to win in a bar fight? A bluefin. Really? Hardcore. Yeah. It's really? that, it, okay. I think it's that cold water. I think the cold water, they can just fight a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but we killed our biggest, our biggest yellowfin this year. It was awesome. It was my dream because the customer was like, ah, just you do it. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Like that's <laughs> what I've been waiting for this whole time. And it was on a Akuma Lihos 12 with 80 pound test. He hooked it on a freaking plastic. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No live bait needed. Like an eight inch swim bait. Wow. And he, he hooked it by himself, which was really cool. Um, for a customer, you know, casting a conventional reel yeah. already is like, all right, you got my respect. Like, so he hooked it on that and we killed that fish in probably five minutes. A lot of our fish we need to kill really fast. Cause like I said, those sharks are, they're out there and they take fish, they tax fish big time. So really, yeah. So I got to fight that thing and show them a little bit of, you know, railroad fishing. <laughs> um, it was awesome. Um, Going back a little bit in your beginning of your season, you're saying you're going out and you're catching what you call peanuts, 20 pound yellowfin. For us in the summertime, we love catching 20 pound yellowfin. We're all pumped Monsters, for it. Yeah. Right? We're like, ah, oh, yellowfin are here. Um, how are you guys targeting those? And oh my God, that's the best part. So we, uh, they fish the oil rigs out there, obviously, right? Uh-huh. And it's so ridiculous because we, so over there, they fish the oil rigs, and the way that it works with the oil rigs is they have thrusters. They're not actually bound to the bottom of the ocean. So they're floating, and they're basically GPS spot-locked. So when the current changes, you know, your thrusters on your north side will turn on, and then it switches, and it, you know, now the south side. So it's the only structure for miles, right? So they're loaded with bait, and when those thrusters come on, it must blow the bait out, right? And then those fish just go nuts on it. So... This is going to sound ridiculous, but you pull up, right? You mark some fish, you throw your baits out and mind, you know, you fish yellowfin here and you're like, okay, 20 pound test and get it as far away from the boat as you can. Right. With the most perfect looking sardine. Well, these pogies, they already look like crap because they're from freshwater. And by the time you get them out into open water, they got red noses or scales are all messed up. Doesn't matter. So you, you go and you cast your bait out behind the boat, the closer the better is the crazy part. And then you throw a bunch of freebies. Um, so you throw five or six more right behind the engines. And then you just throw it in gear and blow all your baits out. So you're sitting there and you don't let it go too far. The closer the better. So they they want that bait to be, you know, in the white water, like no finesse yeah. about it. You're fishing 50 pounds, 60 pounds, like you just want them to go nuts on it and they do most of the time. So it's, you know, so you're almost creating your own conditions that imitate the oil rig thruster. You're creating that with the Freeman. Exactly. How cool is that? It's unique for sure. And then is there any like lure fishing, uh, in that process at all? Like, can you, 
drag a swim bait. Like we fish the slide here, right? Yeah. Like, not really. Uh-huh. We don't. We don't. We don't. We won't, we'll stay away from jigs completely. Um, pretty much summertime, but come wintertime, um, it's like hardcore popper stuff. And obviously the swim baits are kind of a, a little bit of a newer thing. We had the guys from No Live Bait needed to come out and do a trip, and they were hardcore fishermen. Like they were good fishermen. They sat. They they did an overnight trip, and they did not put the rods down. They were casting swim baits the whole time, and it you know obviously they were fruitful for their efforts. Um, so now we have a couple of those tied on. So poppers and plastics, basically, um, winter time and when those fish are in tight. Um, but besides that lure fishing, not really mostly just live bait. Is there anything that you've taken from fishing bluefin in Southern California? And you, you know, I know you're, you're kind of newer to Louisiana. You may not want to like share like, Oh, this is what I would want to do. Like you're reserved. Is there anything you've taken over there? I want to so bad. I brought <laughs> I brought my kite and I'm just like, because you get those fish to blow up a lot and uh-huh. they'll blow up close to the boat, but they won't touch a hook bait. And I'm like, guys, I know the perfect way to get that line out of the water, you know? Um, but it's hard to like show up somewhere and try to not run the show. I mean, you're just trying to contribute ideas, but it also the point that's been made to me a lot is it's really tough with customers. Like 100%. customers want a way to feel involved and, you know, have a part in it. And flying the kite is really like a, Hey, don't touch this. Like I can do this myself. Like I don't want you to touch this right now. So it, it's situational dependent. I'm really hoping some guys from California will want to come out. I'll go. Um, yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> it's a really cool place for sure. Um, but someone who wants to do that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. The best thing though, that I would say that has been taken over there is, rail rotting um i obviously brought that up a little bit in the beginning i'm like i like if you look at my arms i don't have big muscles but i can kill a really big fish really fast yeah and it doesn't have to do with being a strong person it's all about technique right so um actually these uh have you heard of rap systems yeah they're great oh my god so this guy joe has right these pipes with a little fork in them the best thing is spinning rods you can rail rod a spinning rod. It's the coolest freaking thing because it's so it's in it's insane. I remember everyone talking about that when when uh you know popper fishing was huge here in what was it 2016 probably 15 yeah. 16 yeah um that's that's where I learned to cut my teeth on being calm because I cast it into so many foamers and never got bit. So <laughs> that was my biggest uh. My biggest advantage to getting into commercial fishing was I was like, okay, I know how to stay calm because I've seen these fish a bunch of times and I never catch one. So whatever, you know, keep your expectations low. (laughs) Um, But yeah, being able to use that rail rod is just, uh, those pipes make the biggest difference in the world, man. You can get kids, girls, first timers, like anyone can catch a fish if they just learn how to use the technique correctly. So, and that's kind of really just taken off lately. Um, over in Louisiana. So one of the, one of our other captains, his name's, um, Joe, Joe VT. He has a pretty good YouTube channel. Um, but Joe from rap Systems sent him a pipe first and then, you know, things started to flow. And then he sent one to the other captains over there, like in our company and our company has been, you know, doing as much as we can to like push them because they just are a great thing. And like, yeah, it's insane. You get all these people that can't like, you know, 20 pound yellowfin. They can't do it. Like it's, it's just, they're bass fishermen. They're crappy fishermen. They're cat fishermen. Like it's different. And, uh, you know, being from the West coast, we're lucky enough to like, you know, not really be able to, you know, catfish or crappy fish that much. Like you can, but, but that's just what we like. We tuna fish. Like that's what we do. So being able to take that over there has definitely been the best. 
Yeah, I just saw, and it's funny because I sent it to about 20 people, and it may have been in Louisiana, it might, might have been one of your videos, of a guy using that rap system with the spinning rod. Because the last four years, I am a huge spinning rod guy. I like fishing those subwalkers. I like fishing poppers. I like fishing stick baits. And the spinning rod, it's the same thing. When you have guys on the bow and they have their jig stick, chances are they're going to throw it way too early. And yeah. if it's a popper, that second cast off the popper sucks because they've just... Lines all loose. The line's all loose, right? But with the spinning rod, you worry about the fight. Yeah. Right? Oh, I don't want to be on this fish. And it's miserable when you snag one on yep. 80 pound. <laughs> you snag an 80 pound fish and you fight this thing for like an hour and a half and then it pops out of the boat. But yeah, I saw the guys doing that with the spinning rod and that is like... Game changer. Game changer, dude. Yeah. Spinning rods are, they definitely earned a little bit more respect in my book for sure. Yeah. Because um, I mean, half the time it's not about how good of a cast you can make. It's about just getting lucky, like getting one to eat your bait. So uh, what what size spinning, like what's the average spinning rod set up for popper fishing for your bigger tuna? Um, so we use these rods called Ocean Devils that are from... Um, Oh man, I can't believe I'm blinking so hard. From Dubai. That's where they get sent really? over from. And we've tried to break those things so many times. Like, you know, when when you've caught a lot of big fish and you've seen rods bend and you're looking at this rod and you're really like squinting your eyes and putting your hands <laughs> over your face like to protect yourself because you think it's gonna go. Yeah. And it just won't go. It's it's pretty cool. Um, but we'll use a big Saragossa and 80 pound test and like I said, I, I hate to be, sound like I'm, you know, talking smack on those yellowfin, but I just don't think they fight as hard. Like yeah. our our cold water right now is 72 degrees. Interesting. Yeah, okay. we, we definitely fish a lot of times in the summer in like almost 90 degree water. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. I miss Toro so bad. <laughs> it, their bellies are so lean. Like it's just such, there's no way for the fat to like, you know, turn solid over there. It's so, it's so damn hot. And they're just burning so many calories being yeah. in the hot water. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, and then so for poppers, you know, you're talking about you're putting out 18 to 20 inch bait fish. Are you throwing like big, big poppers? You know, oddly enough, not really. Um, I don't know if it's because from the charter perspective, you just can't drop huge money like that on mm -hmm. jigs, especially when there's all those sharks around and customers are going to be throwing them. So, I mean, we fish stock stuff most of the time and... It's so funny. The baits that work the best just are the cheapest ones. And I don't know if it's because because of it, you know, yeah, because it's just a good bait or whatever, or because it's just what you put out and what you put out just gets bit. But we have these uh, mirror lures, those pink mirror lures. They have a funky bill. Yeah, those, they're not wired through. They're literally like a crappy treble hook with a little tiny screw, like a what you'd imagine on like a picture frame, like a tiny little screw screwing this treble hook in. And man, those things catch fish. Really? They catch so many damn fish, it's unbelievable. Um, you just got to play them right, I guess. Yeah. But, and so you, you're casting those on the spinning reels. Yeah. And I, I can picture what you're saying. They well, like, no, oh. I'm sorry. Um, that's what works the best for trolling, obviously. But, oh, okay. um, the, but similar quality for the poppers. So we'll just use a, you know, just not a great, I don't know what brand it is, but it's six to eight inches, you know, kind of a clear popper. Mm. Um, heavy. They're not like hollow. They're like solid resin all the way through. Um, cast great, but they're so cheap and they work so good. Now from a charter perspective, that's great. You know, yeah. especially when you're saying sharks breaking off, what else are you catching on these oil rigs? Is it just straight yellowfin? So, I mean, it depends on the time of year. Um, 
Wintertime is really freaking cool. So right now we get Wahoo that are seven miles out as well. Um, the wow. seven mile rigs, 12 mile rigs, those are like the hot ones for Wahoo. So then the company I work with, um, they won the like, I don't know exactly what it's called, but some tournament for tuna and Wahoo. And last year they won it with a 110 pounder. Oh so, my God. Yeah. Those things get, they get big out there. There's big fish. So wow. in tight, I mean like literally on top of the shelf, we got our 172 pound yellowfin this year. They got a 110 pound Wahoo this year. Um, We'll get we'll get marlin. There's a lot of blue marlin and white marlin actually, mm-hmm. um, but those are summertime months mostly and pretty far offshore. Actually, the that record marlin. I don't know if you saw that from uh, Orange Beach, Alabama. It was like twelve hundred pounds. I want to say. Don't quote me, but eleven or twelve hundred pounds. Those they fish out of the same rigs that we do. So those. Really. Yeah, I've seen a couple four or five hundred pound blue marlin out there. I've seen people catch. You know. White marlin aren't as big, but white yeah. marlin, I mean, it's, you know, it's cool. It's something I didn't even really think I was going to get to, like, you know, see with my own eyes. So a lot of cool stuff out there to target. Yeah, and you said, okay, so there's 7-mile, 12-mile. When you're fishing in the summertime, you're running 60 to 100 Straight miles? past those. Straight okay, past so those, those rigs and, are still there. Yeah, those, okay. those, the ones that are on top of the shelf in, like, 200 feet of water, those are fixed to the ground. Okay. Um, but the ones that are way out there, we're fishing in like 4,000 feet of water. Those are floaters. How far till it drops off? About 10 to 12 miles. Oh, wow. Okay. It's pretty similar to here. Okay. Yeah. So you're running all the way out there just because that's, is it like a temperature break that those rigs sit in? Dude, these guys don't care about temperature breaks or chlorine. I mean, sometimes, yes. Um, to, but I mean, most of the time it's like you go to this, like people caught him at this rig, like let's go to that rig and then the one next to it and just like bounce around a couple of rigs and you know, that's about it. Just get out there far and put some baits out, put them right behind the props. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I love that you guys are making your own ecosystem or recreating that. Now when those rigs, have you been by a rig when it does kick on and it goes and it hits the white water not like on not like at that moment i don't Mm -hmm. i have no clue when that you know how you'd even figure out when that is um but you definitely like you'll see the thrusters on and you'll see fish blowing up like you'll see them just popping up left and right so that's so cool yeah it's (laughs) something that i've i don't know it's just like the only place in the world i think that like you know has fishing like that yeah the, the fact that you equated it to an eye pilot just uh you know made me think of exactly what it looks like this thing's just out there and the thruster that kicks on the other way it makes sense it pushes out the feed and those fish come in and tear it up man. yeah i mean it, it's it's hard to wrap your head around for, i mean for me it was like you yeah know, first getting there and i'm like are you kidding me like they're like stop letting your bait out and i'm like what the farther the better you know but it's not like that so wow yeah it's a lot to learn sharp learning curve for sure and then so some of the uh you were saying that their heaviest rigs were 80 pound for swordfish how are you guys targeting the swordfish well, 80 pound spectra, so 80 pound backing, um, mm-hmm. just cause you don't want all that, you know, drag in the water when you have all that line out. Um, swordfish typically we do on like a sacrificial weight system. So we'll get like a big chunk of rebar that's like between six and eight pounds. And then, uh, we have our wind on leaders and you have your weight that stays on. That's like typically between two to five pounds, basically that's clipped, you know, 50 yards up from your bait mm-hmm. um, and we just drop that thing straight down and as soon as that rebar hits the bottom you jerk it a couple times and it you know falls off the baited hook um, 
I don't know if I need to go more into that, but so, basically you got like a, so you got your rebar electrical tape with a little piece of coat hanger with like a, just about 90 degree angle. And that hangs right on your hook. Um, and then you just kind of let that little bit down. Obviously you put your weight, your, uh, your lights on. Usually it's like five arm pulls at a time, two or three lights from your bait. Um, and then you got your, your, basically your wax line where you clip your other weight in. Mm-hmm. And then from there you just let it go down. Um, hits the bottom and I've seen it. I, I mean, they've caught swordfish with broken bills because they smacked the rebar on the way down. It, the swordfishery over there is unbelievable. I've seen it, you know, get bit immediately and obviously also not getting bit all night. Yeah. Um, but it takes a special kind of person to want to go catch a swordfish because obviously you throw baits behind the boat and you get yellowfin jumping up and down. Um, it's exciting, you know, yeah. versus putting a bait down and waiting for your rod to tick out of rhythm. You know, it's it's not the most fun. But I mean, for me, it is. I want I mean, for me, obviously coming from California and obviously this season being a really big torture for me. Um, there's a lot of small ones over there. But yeah, but the consistency is unbelievable. I mean, it's crazy. Are you guys are you guys uh, targeting a pinnacle? Is it a, is it a, are you just on a current break or how do they know where the swordfish are? Cause I know here they're very spread out, right? but I've seen a, a lot of video, East coast videos of guys going out to a pinnacle and it's like, they drop on, they know they're there. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's mostly uh, for us, it's the shelf. So right on the edge of the shelf that, you know, it drops off. And mm-hmm. for us, it's mostly depth related. You want to find that feed layer just like here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go find those canyons right on the, you know, drop off between 1200 and 1500 feet and to find that feed layer and try to get your bait in it. So That's translates so pretty so well. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't use the sacrificial weight here as much. We tried that in the beginning and it didn't really work out for us as well. Do you have as much current over there? Is there like a real strong current? Do you, does your line scope? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It, de- okay. it depends on the day and you just make your adjustments. We'll, we'll troll, we'll troll baits down too. Um, every now and then just, you know, keep the boat in gear while you're letting it down. Um, but I mean, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of current. Sometimes there isn't. It's it depends on the day. So now that you've fished in Louisiana, is there any plans to come back to California? Or are you coming back here in the summertime? What are you? So my like dream right now is like I have a good amount of connections back in California, and flights are cheap. So so living in Louisiana is super cheap, um, and you, if you plan it out correctly, you can find a round trip flight for hundred and fifty bucks. So wow. I can. I mean, the dream is to go fish in Louisiana because that has the consistency for me, but the. California fishery has the quality that I want. So I got to come fish in California this summer three times, two or three times, four times. And it was like, it was, it was, I know what I'm doing here. So I can go over there, have a blast. And then if I look at my schedule and I'm like, Hey, I don't have, you know, work for this week or two, I'm coming back to California and I'm going to, you know, I got a car here at my dad's house and I can, I could just, it's a Prius. So (laughs) I I got my truck in Louisiana. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. It's like a Prius where gas is, you know, five, six, $7 (laughs) a gallon. And then my trucks over there where it's two fifty, and that's where I'm using the most. Yeah. So being able to come over here, jump on a boat, whichever boat it may be, I don't care. I want to catch bluefin. So, you know, small boat, big boat, whatever, like I'm, I'm all for it. So, and I think there's definitely, you know, I've talked about this before of 
an offshore fishing day is such a taxing day and to have somebody like you on the boat that alleviates some of that pressure of rigging because a lot of time an owner wants to take out his friends his friends don't know how to fish he's doing everything he doesn't even get to fish but to have somebody like you and i was looking at your website you have a great website by the way thank you and so that's a service that you offer is as a, like a mate service right yeah exactly and uh i mean in today's day and age you just got to get creative right so yeah. Um, obviously what I do best is I love to mate and obviously any, any fisherman that, you know, loves to go fish, you're not going to come home and like fully cook your tuna and, you know, white rice. Like you want the sushi, like that's, yeah. you know, that's what you come for. So it's like, that's what you do all that work and all that prep and all that money. And so you can have like the best quality fish. So for me, um, I love sushi, man. I remember my mom, like taking me as a kid like to go get drive through california rolls and it was my favorite like in elementary school like it, no i had no business eating so now i now i you know i'll make her the sushi and i i got my girlfriend from i make i made her sushi i brought her like oh, sushi at, at work so the, sushi of love yeah right so i mean it works good <laughs> I mean, people appreciate it and they love it yeah. it's good and you can't really compete with it so i got pretty good at making sushi not i'm no pro but like i i can make it look pretty and yeah. uh so yeah, that's what I'll offer. Obviously, um, another thing that I do is uh, photography. So I, I always, we were talking about, you know, the lobster pictures and how much of a difference it makes when you bring a camera. It's like the same thing with those tuna. Like you get, those tuna have so many colors when you first bring them up. They got all kinds of iridescence, pink, purple, greens, like crazy colors that yeah. you just don't really get on your phone. So, you know, I keep that little camera on me and yeah, I've gotten lucky enough to make a, Fish Taco Magazine. I've done like a Promar ad, Calstar ad. Um, I recently got um, the cover. Me and my girlfriend got the cover of Western Outdoor News. Awesome. Um, and it's all from bringing that little camera, you know? It's like, it's something that most people just won't, you know, think to do. Um, but it makes a big difference for me and like the memory. So obviously, Far Out Yacht Services, I had to, you know, tack on like it's a mate service and, you know, it can be catering as well. Like I can cook. So it's like, I'm going to, you know, bundle all that together and like photography video. I mean, the fillets only last so long, you know, but those mm -hmm. pictures, they, whether it was 10 years ago or yesterday, like those pictures look exactly the way they, you know, they do. And that high quality image just, it's fun. It's a big memory. So, yeah. And it, it's nice that you appreciate, you appreciate the resource. A lot of guys like, man, by the time you're done fishing for the day, you're throwing that in a Ziploc bag, whatever. And oh, we still got to clean the boat and all that stuff. But if they have you on board, yeah, right. Not only did they have a great lunch, right? If you're making lunch or, or if that's part of your deal, you were able to catch fish. You're assisting with catching fish, even just you know gaffing fish, whatever. And then the photography to have those photos at the end of the day, and then someone that knows how to process fish, that's a big deal, man. Yeah, it's, that's a big it's fun. Deal. I mean, to take that away from someone else, all that responsibility, like I mean. It's just like you, you, I mean, imagine what people on, you know, my favorite boat to run is a 42 foot Riviera and the owner's name is Don and he's just the freaking coolest, nicest guy. I mean, that's kind of how it got started. Yeah. Um, because I went to go mate with him and he's so freaking nice, man. He's been nice. I'll never forget. I said, Hey, can I, he's like, do you need to bring any help? And I was like, well, honestly, it'd be pretty helpful if I could bring my girlfriend. And he was like, okay, for sure. So he, and he was like, I'll never forget. He was like you guys take the master room. I was like, no, that's completely like just unwarranted, you know, 
not professional. Like I'm not here to do that. And he's like, no, you have to, or you're not going to like come back. And I was like, Oh my God. So I like, you know, did everything I could. I brought my, I brought my vacuum sealer and, you know, after we got back, I vacuum sealed all the fish for him, trimmed the bloodlines and, you know, packed his freezer in the boat, like full did the, you know, photos of him and his like brother-in-law's like first, you know, first tuna ever. Um, I did like a beautiful like sashimi spread for him one night when we stayed at like Avalon. So it's, you know, and once I got to do all that stuff, like honestly, just out of like appreciating him as a kind person, I was like, I mean, I could, I could do this for other people and like, you know, get creative essentially on how I make money and how I like work. So, I mean, thanks to him really like for being so kind because I mean, there's so many boats that you get on and you're just like, God, I can't wait to get off. Like, yeah. I mean, I know one dude who just thought he had the dream. He had, he was fishing on a seven, he was like, I'm going to Cabo for six months on a 72 foot Viking. And like our, like our, you know, boat that we're towing behind us is a freaking Freeman. I'm like, wow, that sounds like the dream. He didn't last a week out there. The owner was a nightmare. So, I mean, to be able to work with people that are like so kind and so generous and just like make you like want to come back is like, it's a game changer. Yeah. It doesn't feel like work. It yeah. is work. It's what we love doing, right? I love trip planning. I love getting ready thing. The grocery, uh, the trip to the grocery store before the fishing trip yeah. is almost just as fun. Like, especially if it's like a friend's trip. Oh yeah. You're just like animal cookies. That's a must. You know, you're just over buying everything. Definitely. It, it's what we love to do. I love the trip planning. I love cleaning fish, processing it. And then to share it with somebody who's like, it's just way over their head to even, that's a possibility. It's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many, how many times do you hear someone say it's like, you know, fish of a lifetime? And like for us, it's like, well, it's like the fish of this week. Like I'm going to catch them. It's like theirs, you know, like yeah. this one guy, Bill, like his first bluefin ever was like over 150. And I'm like, dude, for that to be your first like bluefin ever, like that's so cool. Next week, I'm going to try to catch a 200 though. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. And it's, it's great when you find good owners. Oh yeah. That makes the world a difference when you want to show up and it makes their day better too. I don't know how these guys like can make it uncomfortable on the boat and then expect like people to come back, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's see, we got our board here. When do you go back to Louisiana? When does that season start back in Louisiana or is it still ongoing? I mean, it's ongoing as as long as we can book trips. Um, right mm-hmm. now is, I mean, weather makes it kind of tough. But if I look at my schedule right now, I mean, this is part of the reason I moved. I mean, it's the reason I moved to Louisiana is uh, they call it lump season, um, which is same thing we've been talking about is all those big fish coming up on the shelf. But it's like the most consistency. Um, and that happens February and March. So my calendar right now for February is slammed, which is so cool because... Um, I don't know if we were talked a little bit about the hunting, but I, I like took up hunting because I like pretty kind of got like seasonal depression, you know, like when you, <laughs> when you fish and you, you know, that chunk of time between like December and June, and there's not a whole lot of offshore fishing to do. It sucks. It sucks really bad. Yeah. Um, and you go, you go kind of crazy. So I, that's how I kind of took up hunting. Um, but there's still that chunk between like February, like, hunting season kind of goes out like the end of January and then it's like the best time to go fishing in Louisiana is February. Um, so that's what we call lump season. And that's when those 
really big fish come in tight and that's when you go, you know, throw the poppers for them. So how is the weather at this time of year? What kind of conditions are you dealing with? Do you um, have a lot of groundswell? So there's not, I don't know exactly how you'd call it, but the, the swell basically over there all the time is a really short period. So over here in California, you get those like, you know, 14, 16 second, you know, days yeah. and you're like, that's great. You know, that doesn't exist over there. Over there, like a big one is like eight seconds, nine seconds. Um, and we'll still fish if it's like, you know, four or five seconds. Like Ooh. It, it's, it gets nasty sometimes. But those Freemans, man, like, you know, coming from Cali where obviously now there's more Freemans. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, there was a time when there was like two or three on the whole like, you know, California coast. And like over there, literally every boat is a Freeman pretty much. Like yeah. Freemans, Contenders, Yellowfins. Um, but like there's one company that has like six Freemans. It's like. <laughs> That's so crazy. One company, like everyone runs a Freeman and they do perform so well. Wow. Unbelievably well. Like in that short chop, they just, they handle it. Like going too slow for us. 20 miles an hour still like you're still kind of moving you know it's like it's it's they're an impressive boat wow yeah i mean you have to make that long say you're making this 80 mile run if you can't maintain 20 miles an hour your whole day how long is the duration of the trip uh we typically take off at like 5 30 or 6 um and then typically three o'clock is like okay we're done for the day like we're headed back and it's funny I'm, i laugh because i feel guilty you know because i'm yeah. so used to like I'm so used to sending a sat phone message home like, hey, actually, I'm not coming home tonight. We're going to stay another day. Um, but being able to come back at 3 o'clock is the dream. Is there like an afternoon wind that you guys deal with when you're not smashing really. in? Okay. Mm-mm. Huh. It's really weird, but no. The, oh. Gulf, is, the Gulf is cool. Yeah, it's, it sounds it's, cool. I said earlier that it's the ugliest coastline, and it's because there's like no sand anywhere whatsoever. It's just mud and reeds and like... You know, it's not, it doesn't look appealing, but the fishing is out of this world. It sounds, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm yeah. going to come out. I'm, I got to give me some lump season, yeah. baby. I really, I really want to get some Cali guys over there and just like, you know, let people experience something new. Cause I mean, I, I remember hearing about Venice the first time when I worked at the tackle shop and you know, they went red fishing and then they like went out and, you know, did some offshore stuff. And I was just like, wow, that place was, sounds so cool. And now I'm like part of it. And, you know, I got my, like, room that's down there. It's so crazy. You head down the road, like, it's one road all the way down. You're just driving right along the Mississippi, and you're just going as far down as you can. It's like my house is on the very south end of New Orleans, like the end of civilization, and you still have to go 60 or 70 miles south to get to Venice. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's a – they call it the end of the world, and I, I get it. Wow. So it's – so Venice is 60 miles from New Orleans? Uh, a little further, like 70 from New Orleans. Wow. Is there anything in between that or you're just... Not really. Like a couple little stands um, with like, you know, cool stuff like um, snacks, veggies, you know, there's, they have what's called satsumas, which are a tangerine. It's just a tangerine. I don't know why they have to call it something weird. It's pretty good though. Um, they're so good. Um, Creole tomatoes. I don't know what makes them so different, but whatever. But my favorite thing is boudin. So it's a, it's a sausage that is, they make it out of anything basically. Typically it's pork. Um, but going down the road, you'll see it like made out of gator or whatever. Um, it's like a mix of veggies with rice with the meat. 
and it's like it's a sausage but it's almost like a like whole meal like into a sausage and it's the best boat snack ever <laughs> nice i yeah. like that <laughs> i love them it's the ultimate glizzy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you just got back from columbia when did you do that columbia trip oh man so that was a. Uh, how did it go down? I mean, I, so I left California in March, um, and fished in Louisiana around end of April. Um, so we, we took our time like doing a couple different States. We went yeah. to, we went to Arizona, New Mexico and hiked like 30 miles looking for elk sheds, um, fished in Texas always wanted to catch an alligator gar more than you can imagine yeah and it was so cool I would you get one? Oh yeah like a five footer nice um super exciting um and then went to louisiana blah 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 went to the keys we're like okay at the keys we were like okay we gotta kind of make a decision because we kind of ran out of money so we're like okay louisiana sounds pretty good for now so we went back to louisiana and then my dad got really sick. He had like stomach cancer. So I, I had to fly back to Cali and then he passed away. We stayed for the funeral and then we flew back or I flew back by myself. My truck was in Florida and then I drove back to Louisiana like in one night. I was so excited to go back. I was like, I, it was like a 13 hour drive and I just landed at like 8 PM and I pulled into like, you know, the shed, the boat yard basically at like 7 a.m. Took a nap, woke up, went down to the marina to go just say what's up, like, hey, I'm back. And I met the owner of uh, Fish Columbia. He was the customer for the day. And I just told him, I was like, man, I've always, they, they're big on the peacock bass. Mm -hmm. So I told him, I'm like, man, I freaking, I have like a 130 gallon fish tank and I've had like all these like really cool, like wild caught, you know, peacock bass and payaras and just all the crazy exotic stuff. I don't remember if I spoke Spanish to him. I don't know what uh, got him to ask for me, but he texted my boss and he was, I was actually, so I remember I was in California on that Riviera and I get a text at like 4 a.m. He's like, hey man, I hate to do this to you, but do you want to, uh, do you want to, like this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. I know you're supposed to start full time, but he's this guy's asking if you want to go to Colombia and go work over there for a little bit. And I was like, Oh God, I don't want to like blow what I've got going on in Louisiana. So I yeah. told him, I'm like, if I can work out a deal where I get to come back, then I'm down. But like, I'm not going to risk, you know, losing this. Um, so he, he said, well, I'm really glad I didn't. Uh... So he, he, we talked about how long I was going to go for. And mm -hmm. he was like anywhere between one and six months. And I was like six months in Columbia, like, that's cool. You know, like that could be really cool, but I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, so I ended up going for two months and he said I could come back. So for two months, um, I worked out a deal where my girlfriend could come to and she was the head of their like research. Um, in Colombia, sport fishing is illegal. Really? You cannot fish in Colombia for sport because it's the, the Supreme court of Colombia deemed it inhumane or something. So, you got to fish for science. Mm -hmm. So down there at the lodge, you're air quotes fishing for science. Interesting. Um, so she, we went to like, I forgot what the university was, but we went to this like lab and met up with this incredible woman who was working at in, in Alabama. So we went to her lab and learned like everyone knows about the sea bass stones, right? Your atolliths, um, 
your ear stones, whatever you want to call them. Tuna have those too. All fish have them. But in tuna, they are so small. Mm. And I, we went to her lab, studied how to do them, you know, how to take the proper measurements and like get all this data for the fish. And the pictures from online, obviously this is not a situation that's unique to any one company or whatever. Um, I'm like, cool. Like there's big elephant out there too. The yellowfin over there are, and I'm saying this from a scientific standpoint because we had to weigh the fish. They're typically between five and nine pounds. What? Yeah. <laughs> so what? <laughs> so they, they eat the popper like there's no tomorrow and they're a oh, lot bad. of fun. But uh, yeah, they're, they're not big. So getting those, those ear bones out of those fish was <laughs> a nightmare. It was so tough. Um, but Columbia was so cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, their 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 Dorado fishery is off the charts. I got one that was we didn't weigh it, but it was a fifty pound fish um, wow. on the popper. I I'm so glad the the owner is like get up on the bow and start casting. I'm like, there's no fish around. Like everyone wants to fish when the fishing's on, you know. But like no one wants to sit there and. Di- but I did it, and I freaking hooked my fifty pound fish. And wow. our first clients or were uh, two conks. So we had Jack Carlson and all, you know, his sons and one of their other captains. If you don't know who they are, they are, the way I describe them is they have gold chains with their company logo, like the kids. The kids have the gold chains. Like they are doing so well for themselves down in Florida. Um, and they were our first customers and they were so cool. They were so down to earth. They've got like 28 boats running under their company name. They have wow. their, their own fuel dock. They have their own stores. They have their merch. They have a Two TV shows, I think. Um, so if you watch one of those Two Conks Adventures um, shows and you see a 50-pound Dorado with the purple Yuzuri popper in its mouth, that was that's my you. fish. Oh, that's cool, <laughs> man. That's cool. So it was that was a really cool experience for sure. And some of this taxidermy, I was looking at your Instagram today before you headed over, that taxidermy is incredible. Thank you. Is that, because I've seen the Columbia guy do that as well. It was inspired by a fish Columbia for sure. Yeah. Um, the the Bull Dorado have that, you know, their big rectangle head, their big block heads, and the bone that's underneath there is so cool. Yeah. And they've got like 10 of them. And I was like, this is epic. Like, I've done a, I did a little bit of that stuff like before. Like, obviously, hunting, it's very easy to do a deer head. You just boil it, get the meat off, and, you know, it's more complicated than that. But <laughs> it's way easier than doing a fish skull. A fish skull comes apart in so many pieces. And I was like, you know, everyone's like, oh, bring me something back from Columbia, a magnet or you know, whatever, you know, something corny. And I'm like, the T-shirt, like, no, dude, like, I was like, the coolest souvenir I could possibly take home is a freaking Dorado skull. So yeah. I, I brought back the skull from uh, like a 45 pounder that we caught on the troll. And it was, it was so cool. And uh, yeah, being able to bring that thing back was, I, I don't know, I can't think of anything cooler, honestly, that I'd rather have in my house. The thing's like, 18 inches tall probably wow. like with the fin like it's how long does that take to oh that was that was a really uh so i mean over here obviously over there i didn't have the proper equipment or whatever so i got a potato sack it was a it's like a plasticky kind of net you know it has holes mm-hmm. and there's waterfalls everywhere so i stuck the whole dorado head in the bag tied it up and tied it to a rock and put it under a waterfall. And I left it for four weeks. And then I came back and had all the bones, soaked them in hydrogen peroxide and took them home like that. Wow. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Under a waterfall. Yeah. I never would have thought to do yeah. that. <laughs> it's got like a little bit of like mud tint to it. Like it's a little, it's not the cleanest white you've ever seen, but sure. I'm like, it's character. No, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. And then you did a Wahoo as well? Is that No, I, I did a Barracuda. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I just got bored. Um, I, I want to do a Wahoo, but when I did that one, that was obviously late summer. And I've only, I haven't got to fish a whole bunch for the big Wahoo. Obviously, I want to do a big one. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, the one I really want to do is a swordfish. So yes. over there, everyone just hacks the bills off. And it's like, well, there's a way cooler way to preserve this thing than... So that's going to be my next little endeavor of far out yacht services is doing some taxidermy stuff. Cause I mean, people will pay, you know, I'm not money hungry, but I got to pay rent. So yeah, I mean, anything you can do to make it a bigger package. Yeah. I think that's I mean, awesome. Taking home the picture is like really cool. And I, I love to get a great photo of a fish, but Oh my God, if you could take home this, the whole skull, like yeah, with a bill, yeah. like it's, it'll be, it'll be something cool for sure. My wife doesn't know this, but I have a 200-pound tuna tail on my roof. Nice. <laughs> and I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. But I, it was funny. The first night I came home, we got like two cows. So I I was like, oh, these are cool. I'm going to keep these tails. I screwed them to the fence. Mm. And I hear in the middle of the night a bunch of possums oh, out man. there. I shine a light. There's like 10 possums fighting wow. over it. And I, I want to figure out something to do. Obviously, I think the one that I just threw up on the roof to dry out is useless. But I'd love to do something with the tuna tail and like, have you ever seen those like base mounts? Yeah. And then they paint them and stuff. I think that's a, be a really cool option as well. For sure. The hard part is getting that oil out. They're so freaking uh-huh. oily. Um, that's like the one thing that makes them like not want to dry is all that oil. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Got to yeah. find some kind of a good degreaser or something to get that out. But it's so cool to have a trophy of like a fish like that and just like have a, you know. Pictures are great. I love pictures. I mean, imagine how people go fishing and they don't get the, you know, the souvenir. They don't get the tail. They don't get the bill. They don't, whatever. Um, they don't even get a picture. Yeah. They just get their fillets. And no shade to Venice, but um, Venice, Louisiana, that is, because the restaurant that I work with here in California is in Venice, California, right? Mm-hmm. I learned to take such good care of fish in California. I mean, you got people that are, I mean, now we got the Ikejime and the Shinkajime and like obviously gill and gutting your fish. Like it's such a science over here. And the product is like, I mean, when I worked with the restaurant, we, we would provide fish for Michelin star restaurants, like the wow. best of the best. And I got to Venice and it's not the same. Like, yeah. so imagine like the photo is cool and I like to get the photo for guys, but I mean, the way that I'm told you have to do it, and it's the way you do have to do it as far as being effective with your time. Because how do you clean a boat if you're going to sit there and trim all your bloodline out and trim your skin on? So over there, um, I mean, and the people that we get as customers, like, they're people, they're, they're, they're good old country boys. Like, they get you know, some fish. They skin their own deer. They, you know, whatever. They don't know about that stuff. Like, yeah. they don't. They, they go home and they can trim their own bloodline and trim their own skin out. But when you're from Cali and you don't let your fillet ever touch the slime of the fish and you trim your bloodline immediately and you bleed your fish and it's just different, different parts of the world. So it's crazy to, you know, at least now over there I can send someone home with a really nice picture, you know, and like, and it's cool that you can share that stuff with them about care for the fish and bring that as another, I want to, it's, it's like, but it takes the right kind of customer, you know, like 
a lot of those guys, they go fishing once a year. Like yeah. over here, like over there, they, they travel. Like we had guys that drove down from Minnesota, which if you don't know where that is, it's the northern, it's bordering Canada. And they drove 18 hours to come fish in Louisiana and like take fish home. Like that's what they're doing. They're taking meat home. Yeah. So uh, do you want to like capitalize on that moment or do you want to have one fish that's really well taken care of? Well, a lot of those like, you know, people from over there are like more fish, more fish, you know? So it's tough. Was there any companies that have helped you along the way um, that maybe support you and so many give a little shout out to you? Maybe just make it. Top five. <laughs> Dudley Market. Obviously, I learned how to bluefin fish with him, and that kind of started everything as far as big fish fishing. Um, Louisiana Blue Water, obviously, is uh, huge now because that's just been the next step for me as far as where I live and how I make a living. Yeah. Um, and then far out yacht services because <laughs> I got to keep it going. I mean, my latest thing now is trying to translate that film and photo stuff over to uh, hunting because when it's not fishing season, it's hunting season. So, and me and my girlfriend only like to eat like free range organic meat because if you're a fisherman, you just are going to, you know, for lack of a better term, you're going to shit on other fish. Like the stuff from the grocery (laughs) store just ain't the same. And once you get into hunting, guess what? It's the same thing. So Maybe we'll do a whole nother podcast just about hunting. Oh man. It's something I'm interested in. I haven't crossed that line because fishing consumes my life, but off season, it's the perfect off season activity. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Drew, for coming out. We really, really appreciate it. And, uh, like, and subscribe on Apple. We're on Spotify. we got a couple YouTube episodes coming out. Uh, so check it out and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.